0: Welcome back. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Welcome back to part two of Primordial Tao, Present Tao. Again, my name is Alex Kruger and I'm here with Dr. Michael Smith. We were just talking about the four characters of embodied spiritual warriorship. Uh, We just Spoke about the first two in the first half, and we're moving on to the third. Uh, What can you tell us about uh, Zen? Zen, I think I'm mispronouncing that. Sorry, Michael.
1: (laughs) So again, uh, keep keep the image in your mind of a few, uh, I think it was three 17, 18-year-old young men a high-level martial arts teacher, and a high-level Taoist teacher all sitting around the table. And Pedro Chong, the the Taoist teacher, had his little chalkboard and he was, you know, using that to draw the characters and to explain to us what they meant and and how to embody them and how they related to the progress we were committed to, because we had all made the commitment to become martial arts teachers at some point. Uh, I was probably the only one in the room who had at the time Felt a real deep connection to Taoism and the opportunity that Taoism had uh, or has to profoundly change the way you experience your life. And for some reason, when I first started reading about Taoism when I was 17, I just kind of knew it was the thing for me. So he had talked about the character Sher, uh, which is the character for uh, being skillful. And then he had talked about the character Zhe, which is taking that skill even deeper and adding even more meaning to it in the sense of how you would uh, commit your heart or your spirit to a, a life of something and to go deeper into the the detail and the difficulty of practice and to face that in a good way. So, the third character that he had brought up uh, was Chen, and. Jun is used a lot in Taoism. The most common way it's used is to talk about the Chenren people or the true human beings, uh, which is kind of a, a loose reference to the last living indigenous people of Asia, which uh, were gradually going out of existence around the time that Lao Tzu great the, wrote the book Tao uh, Te Ching. So, in many traditions of Taoism, we talk about this affirmation to these, uh, you know, indigenous, you know, uh, Older cultures and the wisdom and the free wandering and the ease and the lack of dominion and punishment and uh, unnecessary human suffering and things like that. So when we think of Chen and chun run, the idea of being authentic or true uh, is the definition, but it often has more to do with actually how you're living your life, not just a truth or you know just you know an authentic thing like an authentic car or something. This is my favorite character of, I think, almost all of the Chinese characters that that I share with people because it is such a great image and it invites us all to such a unique opportunity. So, I'm going to bring the character up for those watching and if you're listening, the character looks like this. In the middle of the character is a, a little kind of cave painting and that describes your subjective experience of yourself. Uh, The word is 子, and it actually is often used in Chinese when you point your thumb at your nose or your chest, when you're referring to yourself as a person, but more specifically, your experience of just being you right now. Uh, We'll learn about a a term called 子 ran later, which is often uh, described or or translated as your natural state of yourself, or yourself in, in your most natural way of being. So, this is a really fundamental aspect of Taoist experience, or of human experience, is this idea of feeling into your subjective experience as a person. And you could even call that in a qualitative way a bit about your identity and your ego. So, the middle of that character is your experience of your ego right now. Below that um, is a character that describes uh, something that is uh, heating things up kind of like a a barbecue, but not one that's going to cook you like a, I don't know, barbecue pig or something like that. It's more like a slow cooking fire of transformation that you feed through your practice. So, here I am with my ego, sitting on the, the chair or the bench or the cushion of my meditation, and that is in a way the cooking fire that's going to change me over time if I keep my jur. I keep my skill and my heart connected, you know, or like we had talked about in the previous part of the episode, kind of nailed down and being tied to it in a life or death kind of way. Not that it has to be like traumatic or dramatic, more about an ethical commitment of purpose. So, there you are, cooking your ego. And at the top of the character is a little radical or a character for flowers or things that nature does that are beautiful. So this character chun for true for authentic is like a cave painting for cooking your ego until flowers and beauty comes out of the top of your head. Yeah, like What a great description of spiritual warriorship, especially embodied spiritual warriorship, because spiritual warriorship isn't just about being like a kung fu badass, it's about transforming your ego to become a truly pure, ethical, and awakened human being, whatever that might mean.
0: Wow. So even just looking at this character, it does definitely look like those parts you've described now, I can, I can see that, yeah, it is kind of like a – those two um, – there are two lines that come off the bottom on, on a bit of an angle. Uh, what, what do those kind of represent?
1: So the character that I have on the screen is the old, old character. Um, so it has a lot more to it. The modern character is more simple. Uh, but what those two things are, they're the, the two legs of a brazier. So uh, in in ancient China if you were fairly well off you would have a brazier like a metal pot with these little legs that you would slide underneath of your bed so that it didn't start your house on fire but it kept you warm at night. So those two little lines are actually the feet of the brazier or the barbecue.
0: Okay makes sense too because you don't want to overcook yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So here we have this idea of sure being skillful, picking up your spear and learning to twirl it around your head and tell like you had mentioned Alex, it feels like an extension of your hand. And now that your experience isn't just about what it looks like on the outside, it's about what it feels like on the inside, just like our breathing exercise, now we can begin to become the one who is the spear. And at that point, you're actually so inside the inside of your practice, your practice will start cooking you, you know, because in a way, there's a part of us that is kind of like pushing ourselves towards our goal in spiritual life, if it's enlightenment or resolving karma or whatever. But there's also this feeling that a lot of us get that you're kind of being pushed from behind in that direction because the universe wants to universe itself through you. So you, you reawaken to what is already there. So, that's the invitation with Chen, is to have a practice, to have the barbecue. <laughs> if it's meditation, qigong, yoga, you could be doing ayahuasca ceremonies, you could be doing all kinds of different things that are different kinds of fire to transform your identity and your your sense of who you are. And that's crazy. I mean, if you think about it in a way, it's like waking up every morning and preparing yourself to look in the mirror and see someone completely differently or someone who looks completely different and in a way be okay with that, because you're not trying to control the outcome, you're trying to become who the universe wants to universe through you.
0: Wow, so it really is important to do these transformative practices, again, more steadily throughout the day than just maybe, I don't know, once a day or once in the morning and night, keep checking in, because it, 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 yeah, it's quite a process to become that authentic, almost conduit of an expression, eh?
1: Yeah, and it's a kind of radical honesty and a kind of radical trust. Because, you know, if you're going to wake up every morning and not know who's going to look back at you in the mirror, but you trust that it's going to keep becoming the one you're committed to becoming, more by removing layers of distraction and identity and ego and uh, trauma, and all, all the stuff that you know we're all living with, until you become so, uh, you know. And again, we talk about that metaphor in the first part about staking, you know, your heart to something, you know, in a very dangerous situation. Um, Yeah, there's a metaphor. I don't remember the word in Chinese at this moment, but it actually talks about the danger of practice and the opportunity of practice as something you have to kind of commit to because it's going to change you in ways you might not expect. And that brings up those flowers, those realizations, those changes in maybe how you communicate with people, uh, how reactive you are instead of how responsive you are, how focus you might be on what matters to you instead of becoming more empathic and connecting to what matters to the people around you. You know, and then we be, be become a conscious human being, or a true human being, or chun run. Another really great translation of this character is constant evolution. Okay. Right, here we are, you know, we're kind of Post, post-primates talking humans, and as Joe Rogan likes to say in his comedy routines, we're just monkeys with machine guns and money. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do impressions very well, but that's one of his favorite quotes. And, and you know, he, here we are uh, in this constant state of evolution, and if evolution has one truth to it is, you have no idea what the next version of human beings is going to be.
0: Or the next version of ourselves tomorrow. by the sounds
1: of it yeah so it's a it's a funny distinction between i know who i'm trying to become and i'm committed to becoming that you know egoic attachment to my ego becoming more like i want it to become which although it might sound like you're trying to get spiritual it sounds more like you're trying to paint your car to make it look nice right you know and it can be you know a bit of both but it's just bringing that to our, our awareness that um Embodied spiritual warriorship is about practice, but it's also a little bit about um, kind of the imminent uh, tearing down of, of, of uh, distraction and, and dissociation and delusion.
0: That sounds like it's going to definitely help, especially with just focusing, <laughs> just, just being in and out.
1: So, the fourth character that uh, Pedro Chang shared with us is the character uh, Zheng. And this is a really interesting character uh, for me because we use uh, Zheng or Zheng Qi in Chinese medicine to talk about the part of your all of your energy systems that combine and cooperate and collaborate in a way to defend yourself from things like a virus, or a cold, or to help you heal from an injury, or to keep you solid in yourself when you're maybe around an abusive or manipulative person. So, this idea of Zheng Qi, um, you know, can be translated in a lot of different ways. It can be translated in Chinese medicine in the modern world, which is kind of funny. The translation is anti-pathogenic Qi which is obviously a very modern kind of like almost western medicine definition. It's often most often translated as to be upright in the sense of being true to who you are. We talked in the last episode about the teaching Xingming Shuangshu and a big part of that is Xing or your character, your nature, your your sense of meaning and how you bring that into the world and the best way to be aligned with that sense of Xing or, you know, the mind's aspect of, of becoming a whole uh, being in practice is that sense of being upright. And this character Chung is basically a line on the bottom like the ground, a line on the top going up and down like a person standing there, and then on top of them is a short line kind of like what you might think of as a hat or a person who has a specific job. And then that person is working with a plumb line and a square kind of like a person who's working as a carpenter to build a really, really solid house with a really, really good foundation. So you can get really caught up in being too upright in the sense of rigid, but it's also an invitation to notice that Um, on an ethical level, on a practical level, on a day-to-day postural level, on uh, especially the way you are in a relationship. And it's not about being impeccable or perfect. It's about being authentic and upright and to make sure what you're doing in your life with people around you, especially with your practice, especially how you talk to yourself about yourself. Because most of us, we're the biggest bully to ourselves. Like we think about you know, mean people in the world around us and then we listen to how we talk to ourselves, we're often the biggest problem because we think by telling ourselves that we're being bad or that we're not very good looking or that we have too much, uh, you know, chub around our middle or that we don't like, you know, the freckles on our face or whatever we're doing, saying, I am not this, I should be better, there's something wrong with me. One, that's not very authentic you're not really cooking your ego. You're just spray painting over it the things you don't like about yourself or the think things you probably predict other people might not like about you, which again is made up in your head. So, to be authentic chun, and to be upright in a way cheng, is to stop adding to the things that are delusion, that are painful. Now, there's two other ways to translate this character cheng, and I really like them because they make it more practical and practicable. Because if there's anything that I learned from Pedro, although I only think I had two conversations with him in my entire life, is to use these teachings to make them as as practicable and and usable and meaningful as you can, so they're not just ideas. So, one other way to translate "Chung" is to translate it as a resolve. And there's two qualities to resolve. What I would call yin and yang are masculine and feminine. So, the masculine quality of resolve is, I will stand here and face this problem, and we will come to some resolution no matter how hard it is. You know, in the imagined sense, we might have to fight each other, or we might have to sit down and really get into some difficult, you know, problem solving to get through this to resolve the problem. And in a way, that's imaged as the sharp edge of a knife to move into a situation and use your discernment to cut away the things that are not helping you resolve the problem in a very immediate, active, and purposeful way. And then there's the more yin or feminine kind of resolve. And that kind of resolve looks more like negotiation okay, let's resolve this argument. Let's sit down and learn from each other what we both, you know, understand to be true or understand a need to happen or to change. And then we can both agree to change a certain amount within ourselves so that together we're actually moving in the direction that we want to go together, if we can. Or even if we're not moving forward together, we know that the person you're moving away from isn't some enemy behind you who's going to come up and start this all over again. So that's this idea of Jung in, in spiritual warriorship, is to be upright enough in yourself to face the hard things in that masculine or feminine way as needed to move through your life knowing you can trust yourself to face stressful encounters. You can trust yourself to modify your behavior with other people uh, so that you feel like you're doing the right thing, but you're not being manipulated or used uh, by the other person to just make them happy. Because one of the three fundamental paths of Taoism we call Randa, or the Tao of Beings, the Tao of Relationship. So one-third of our practice, in a way, is completely committed to having these kinds of qualities to our practice, and how we connect to the world, and how we commit to our life, and how we relate to people one-on-one every day. Because then our practice becomes our, our... Um, our way of being. It becomes the thing we stake our heart to, uh, no matter what's coming at us. Even if we're afraid, we've given up the belief that we can run away or give up or just, you know, roll over because it's about warriorship. So I'm just going to turn the share off so that people can see you and I again. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts or uh things you'd like to share about that or questions that you'd like to ask.
0: Yeah, there's a chapter in the Data Jing that something along the lines of like it's it's more about what you're taking away to to um I guess the sculpt sculptor analogy comes up as where, where you're kind of cutting away what's unnecessary so that you can reveal the truth.
1: Uh, the uncarved block. Yeah, the uncarved block pool
0: yeah so that, that's kind of what i was thinking about when you were talking about the last character is um just yeah if it's if it's if it's a habit you need to get rid of to be a more present version of yourself or if there's something bothering you that draws your attention when yeah you're trying to be right here upright and do the right thing but it, it's okay to make mistakes sometimes too and at least you're going in that direction so it so I said, yeah, you're right, it's, it's not about being perfect, it's about both going that direction at least, and just being mindful of where you are have, progressing there or what's holding you back and, and just being authentically there though, that's cool.
1: Yeah, and uh, context being kind of everything, especially in, I don't know, Taoist culture or Chinese culture. I learned this when I was 17 years old as an adolescent um, making all of these insane commitments to becoming a Taoist priest and a martial arts teacher and all of those things in, in the way that they came true came true. Um, at the time, I was going through that adolescent turmoil. Who am I? How do I fit into the world? Do I want to spend how many hours a day doing push-ups and punching things and fighting the wooden dummies and spinning spears over my head and you know all that fun stuff? Um, so I always... When I think of this, I always want to, you know, wish I could go back and thank Pedro for saying to me at that age, "This is what's going to take what you're doing now, and keep taking you deeper and deeper and deeper into who you really are." So, for anyone who's new to practice, uh, Taoist practice, any kind of practice, yoga, qigong, meditation and you're beginning your practice, it's kind of like being in that adolescent place where there's turmoil, you know, you don't know enough about the practice to trust it yet. Uh, maybe you don't know enough about yourself or like yourself enough to really trust yourself yet. And that speaks to a lot of people because that's where a lot of people are at when they begin their practice. So I would just encourage anyone to, you know, if, if you've heard this uh, episode and, and it's touched you in some way, to be really happy with the fact you're in the adolescence, or you're in the puberty of becoming the person who's building a practice that might carry you through all of the momentum and good and bad days throughout the rest of your life. And that begins with some kind of skill. It could be breathing. It could be, you know, uh, lifting weights. But it's that you commit your whole self to that skill until it becomes not just sure, but sure right? Your heart's involved now. I had this experience uh, when I was in my kind of mid to late 20s, and this is something Eric Tuttle had uh, told me about, was to go and spend at least 49 days, seven weeks or so, alone in the wilderness as a Taoist hermit, cultivating deep meditation, deep Qigong, deeper breath work. So when I think of uh, the idea of kind of a rite of passage or, or really, you know, uh, going into this. I had this crazy experience when I was doing that. So, when you do the seven weeks or the 49 days, each week has a site, a specific kind of context to it, so that you gradually go through the layers of your training to confirm that you have the skills you, you know, have been told you have or that you believe you have. So, there I was in this mountain cabin for weeks, you know, by myself, uh, training every day, like I was uh, like a Shaolin monk or a Taoist priest. I was committed to my practice. And uh, that was the first time I'd done something like that. And it was really, really powerful. And I had an experience around week five or six that I referred to as bleeding into the scrolls. So if I think of uh, a Qigong form like the Baduanjin, Jin, the eight pieces of brocade, um, and there's the classic version, and there's the the basic version, and there's the more advanced version, and I was there practicing all the you know refined bits, but I was still, in a way, imitating my teacher, right? So in a way, I was doing Eric's version of the Baduan Jin, even at a high level, but it was still the way he taught me. And of course, that's the way you're going to learn. There's no other way to do it. However, around week five or six, I had made this weird discernment in my mind that I wasn't coming back. I was going to stay as a hermit and live the rest of my life in practice. Obviously, that didn't happen because here I am and all these other things have happened in the last, like, 30 years. But um, I had given up the idea that I ever had to go back and teach my students that I had, or to go and have, say, Eric watch my form and decide whether or not I was doing it well. Cause I was going to live in the forest forever and just do it the way I felt like. So, in this experience of bleeding into the scrolls, I started adjusting the form to the way it felt the most natural to me by adding a bit of this, changing a bit of that, not in some, you know, ridiculous way. I mean, you can still see it's the same form, but then I became the version that that form needed to be for me. And then all of my other practices started to go that way. My, my internal martial arts practices, the forms changed, the way I did certain kinds of Qigong changed. And actually I went back to train with Eric a few years later and he actually had said of all the people who had, he had trained, I was in the top few for one, being good at fighting, because that was something I was really into, but two, that I had really made the practice my own. And when he said that years later, I was like, oh, did I do it wrong? And he's like, no, that's what we each have to do. But you can't like control when that happens. You have to wait until you have this like deep internal drive to like change what's happening, to make it exactly the way it needs to be. And it's just a little bit different, but you can always tell it's a bit different. So uh, for me, that was like the big trans- transition point in, in my career as a martial arts teacher and a practitioner of things like Qigong. Because now I could trust in that sense of chun and chong, that I could actually, you know, put my will and willpower and willingness into the practice and it would become exactly what it needed to be for me. So again, for the listener, if you're just getting started with your practice, give yourself a few years of sure and sure, of just developing skills and the willingness to find out what skillfulness is like for a few years. And then at some point, the skill will start practicing you, and you'll start noticing that chun experience where you suddenly start changing your mindset. You start suddenly changing what is really meaningful and important. And you could say your ego starts to break down a bit, and you become who it is you're becoming next. And everyone around you notices that stuff, and like, wow, you're so much more confident or calm or, you know, really clear in what you're doing. And then it's natural to become that person who has zheng qi, that kind of upright resolve, where you just know how to move into any situation and be completely yourself. And also, uh, smile on the inside, knowing that you're kind of gradually breaking down and resolving and removing every part of yourself you don't need. So you don't need to kind of clutch and control who you are. You can even trust that yourself is going to evolve and perhaps even change in, in some way you didn't expect and you just have to stay present to that whole journey.
0: That sounds good and very practical. And that's a pretty reasonable approach to begin to put this in practice actually as well. So.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, so there's one other side to this that I want to bring up quickly. So another way to describe this whole process has to do with uh, a part of human life and a part of maturing that we call orientation to your environment. the The most kind of like blunt, obvious way of describing that would be like a martial arts stance, you know, whatever your you know your style is or isn't, you know, you might have an idea of having an orientation to conflict, right? Now, given that that's an inevitable thing, that, you know, you have to face the light, your life in the way that you're going to have to, you're going to have to commit to that orientation. Now, when you think of this from the, say, the indigenous point of view, they often describe things in the sense of a compass and that your compass needle is always changing depending on what you need to focus on. And you could describe that as your orientation to the world. All right. so if we can all accept that coming into a clear sense of your orientation to the world who you are how you fit in what you want to see happen how you're going to move ahead that's an, an an innate truth to life would you say that that's true to you Alex that you know once you define your orientation and really commit to it it goes where you want it to go
0: yeah and it what that even means keeps changing all the time as well like you keep it's this There's a surprise every other day, (laughs) you know, I can move there now or, oh, more flexible or, you know, up to focus or relax or whatever. So, yeah.
1: So that's another way you can describe things like uh, Chung, you know, your orientation to the world, how you solve problems. Now, this brings up something really, really powerful. So go ahead. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so this brings up another really important part of life. And I'm saying this as a clinician who spent 25 years sitting in a room with people, like most days of my life, talking about the struggles they face. So, if we all can accept and agree that coming up with the most um, efficient and and effective orientation of the world is a, a goal, The thing we're going to all need to do, and I still experience this, you know, after 35 years of being committed to my practice, you know, in the sense that if you think this is ever going to be over, (laughs) is the realization of what we call disorientation. If your childhood was particularly difficult in a certain way, and you had to reorient your, your kind of innate self you know, who you were born to be, to get through your childhood with a, an addicted parent or an abusive parent or an emotionally unavailable parent or no parents or whatever. <clears throat> or if you live through some really catastrophic event that, that changed your world, you're going to be disoriented to the world. And that's the way your compass is pointed. That's the way you practice your practice because that's the way you've learned to solve problems and that's the way you've learned to define your goals. So, one of the biggest parts of Taoist practice, especially when we talk about chun or authenticity or kind of getting through your ego, is accepting that the way we begin our journey is very likely to be a little bit off you know, from the direction we're eventually going to end up going. And there are so many aspects of embodied spiritual warriorship that begin with being disoriented. If you get into like Qigong and you start noticing you're holding a whole bunch of different tension in your body, that tension is a memory of reacting to other people in some way, that's a somatic disorientation. Some of us, our disorientation to the world is existential, right? You know, we, we have a big sense of religion and right and wrong, or we have a complete hatred of all religion <laughs> or something, right? So we have this really solid sense of, of existentially how we fit into the world, but it may not be ours. It may be something we learn from, you know, our religion or from a teacher or from our parents. So, again, this this disorientation can happen in, in different ways. It can happen in your belief system. It can happen in your body. It can happen with how you regulate yourself emotionally. And there's even aspects of our life that can disorient us on an instinctual level. And, uh, you know, you're beginning your martial arts career now, Alex. I've been, I've been teaching for probably 30 years or so. Um, and I, I'm not sure how else to say this than to just say it, but 80% of the people I've taught martial arts to in my life were instinctually profoundly disoriented around fear of violence.
0: That's where I came from and started. Yeah. And that was elementary school. You know, there's some bullies and you don't want to lose. So we <laughs> figure out how to protect yourself and then and then become that guy who protects your friends a little bit, too, and that's kind of all right.
1: Yeah. So that that's the idea is as we learn to practice and, and come to a, a sense of truth with you know how we how our meaning, our existential life works, how our emotional embodied life works or doesn't work, how our instincts are actually guiding us towards where we want to go, or maybe they're disoriented and they're taking us uh, into this compensatory thing where a lot of people spend years being addicted to something because we're just trying to take the edge off of stress instead of asking ourselves, why do I feel like I'm burning the tires, you know. Of my life, you know, grinding away—it's something that I don't care about. You yeah. know, so there's lots of layers, lots and lots of layers to this. But that's the teaching that I received at 17 from Pedro Chang on embodied spiritual warriorship, and it was the thing that started me off uh, uh, committing my my spiritual life to a Taoist practice and becoming a Chinese doctor and a martial arts teacher and everything else.
0: Man, that's powerful. Powerful path you walked, and a lot of really, really meaningful experiences on the way. Lucky to meet guys like Pedro and Eric Tuttle too. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of what we talked in about in the last episode is uh, it's sort of luck, but sort of you're in the right place at the right time because you're in yourself in the right way to a degree, right? So it's kind of one of those things where you. What's that? Do you, the teacher will appear when the student is ready. I was
1: just going to say that. Yeah, that—that—that's that, the thing, eh?
0: So that's how I met you, and I feel pretty lucky about that. <laughs> definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been about ten years, eh? Then since we first started working out together.
0: Yeah, and uh, you, you know, it's definitely one of those. Uh, one of those things where you, you, you can understand, okay, this is the right direction to go, and, and maybe I'll get there in the recommended amount of time if I do these practices this way, but then, you know, a few years go by, and you're like, oh, what I thought I was going to be maybe a little better at this skill set or that one by now, but then you go, okay, well, how come? Why not? Why isn't this working? And that, yeah, like you're saying, like, it, I don't think it, w- it ever ends, and that's not, maybe not supposed to, like, you're, you're not reaching a destination. You're just, Constantly becoming, I guess, more in tune with yourself and the world around you, and having a healthier relationships in in and outside of you. So,
1: yeah. right on, Mo. Thank thanks for uh, thanks for joining me on this little adventure, Alex. It's been really cool.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot for doing this with me again, episode two. I was I had a really fun time, and hopefully, all the listeners enjoyed it as well.
1: So, uh, episode three is going to be called Walking in a Good Way, and we're going to talk about the four pillars, uh, or four primary teachings, that are shared in the Tao Te Ching, the classic of Taoism. So, uh, for those of you who are listening and you're wondering about these characters, they're going to be in the show notes for each episode. So, wherever you found this, if you go and uh, go onto the uh, website is called Soma Dao Qigong, uh, Q-I-G-O-N-G. Um, maybe I'll spell the whole thing. Soma Dao Qigong, S-O-M-A-D-A-O-Q-I-G-O-N-G.com. Uh, there's a lot of ways to spell Dao and Qigong and stuff. Um, and you look for the Primordial Dao podcast, you'll see uh, the episodes there, and under each episode you'll see the characters we talk about. So for those that are listening, uh, you, you'll be able to see them and not every episode is going to be about the Chinese characters, just for those of you who kind of wonder, are all we going to do talk about characters? Um, but that's actually the way I was taught to share certain fundamental aspects of Taoism, martial arts, and Chinese medicine is to begin by showing people the experience that's hidden in the word that's hidden in the character. Because each, each of those characters we talked about today is a state of being as much as a word.
0: And it's also really nice to be able to look at them for a guy that doesn't, you know, really speak or write in Mandarin and see that each of those lines has a really cool meaning and it has great value. And, and there's a story behind each part of those characters. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I like it. Yeah.
1: All right. Thanks again, Alex, and I guess I'll see you in the next episode. And for those of you who are listening, please focus on your breathing because that's how you learn to be skillful.
0: Thanks again for joining us for this episode. If you have any questions or comments, please leave them wherever you found us. You can also find us at Primordial DAO, Present DAO on Facebook. Please like, share, rate, and review us. And have a great day. Look forward to seeing you all in the next episode.
1: Thank you for exploring and enjoying Primordial DAO, Present DAO. We look forward to sharing more in
0: the next episode.